Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, Steve would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another edition of Sox on Tap. It's Tony Marchese. Tonight, I'm joined by Nagy Got Screwed, NWI Steve. He's still on that shtick. Steve, it's great to be here with you on a very snowy day in Chicago, talking White Sox baseball. How you doing, my friend? Hey, yo, Anthony. I'm doing well. I mentioned this on Twitter.com the other day. The longer this lockout goes, the longer hashtag gimmick season goes on Twitter.com. So MLB, get your shit together. Let's go. I mean, you you just you have to keep riding it, don't you? You have to keep riding that same shtick into the ground the same way that Rob Manfred runs his shtick into the ground. Is that what you're trying to tell the listeners here? I, I mean, what am I what am I supposed to do at this point? Let's let's get a couple of facts out there in the open right now. In the Super Bowl era, three coaches, three count them, have taken the Bears to the playoffs multiple times. Mike Ditka, who bought my dad a plane, or excuse me, bought my dad a drink on a flight to Dallas one time in uh, the 1990s, Lovey Smith and Matt freaking Nagy. And they treated him so cold, so callous. I'm going to have to get you a spot on Bears on tap to talk about this. If you're looking for Bears talk, there's going to be Bears talk over on Facebook tonight. Uh, the Bears on tap guys, uh, you can find them on their Twitter at Bears on tap and Bears uh, on tap will be live streaming over on the Facebook page. We're on the YouTube if you're following us over on Twitter, hop on over to the YouTube. Just go on there, type in on tap sportsnet. You'll find us. Hop in the comments section and interact with Steve and I as we talk some White Sox baseball uh, tonight here. Steve, the lockout continues. You were talking about it just a second ago. You texted me earlier today. You said you thought you had a good feeling about some stuff. Then you said you didn't have a good feeling. Where are we at right now? I think right now it's just status quo. Simply put, they're not talking enough. The core economic issues are still the bread and butter of the discourse at the moment. And there seems to be very little, if any, movement whatsoever when it comes to things like the negating of tanking by teams in that rebuilding phase of their competitive cycle. Uh, very little movement in terms of the competitive balance tax. Very little movement in terms of upping the minimum salary for players across the league. Those seem to be the core issues at the heart of, of these discussions and then addressing the arbitration process. The owners don't feel like they have any need or any reason to give any leeway whatsoever on these topics. They are content to just wait out the players because they know that an overwhelming majority of the players in the league are making less than a million dollars per year. And they figure that they can wait this thing out. And if those guys start missing game checks, they will eventually start putting pressure on their union reps, on the guys like the Max Scherzers that are making $30, $35 million a year and say, hey, 
we're not getting any money coming through here. We don't have that financial security that you do. We need game checks. Figure something out. Get us into camp here, and let's get these games rolling. So, Steve, it's 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 already been, I think, longer than what baseball fans have wanted to see this lockout last. And we haven't even missed any spring training yet. We haven't missed any games yet. What's your level of confidence that they get a deal done beforehand? I am getting less and less confident by the day that the season will start at the corner of 35th and Shields on March 31st when we were all expecting to be in lot B before the Sox kicked the Minnesota Twins in the dick to open the season. I don't feel very confident that it's going to happen at this juncture. I think that if they can find a way to get into camps by March 1st, we might be able to preserve that. We all know that the pitchers in particular, that's who spring training is really geared the most towards. And a lot of these guys are obviously working out individually at the, at this point here um, as the calendar has flipped to February. So realistically, we've got four weeks. And if they can't have a deal ironed out by March 1st, there just simply is no way that we're going to see opening day on the 31st of March at the corner of 35th and Shields. All right. So I don't want to, I don't want to harp on negative stuff here. That's not what we want to do. There's a, a foot of snow outside and there might not be baseball on March 31st. But one thing that did come out of the meetings today, Steve, that we did hear an inkling of, and I think it's something that you're going to be a fan of. I'm probably going to yell and scream at a cloud for is that there's going to be a universal dh in 2022 uh what are your what are your thoughts on universal dh and that being part of this next cba is that going to be a, a bridge for these guys what, what do you think about this one i think that ultimately the players association i don't know why they would want to contest this because dhs are still going to be higher paying jobs for their union membership. So even if that is just another roster spot used in kind of a rotational piece that we've seen a lot of teams in the American League do here in the last couple of years, that is still a higher dollar value roster spot and simply more valuable to teams on a game-to-game -game basis than it is by simply forfeiting two guaranteed outs, essentially, um, the first two times through the order when you're seeing National League style baseball. I knew you'd be a fan. I knew you'd be a fan. But Steve, this goes back to just one thing that we want to see. And I think the only thing that can sell me on this is that it means more at bats for Gavin Sheets in a White Sox uniform. Well, listen, anything that um, you know gets your baby boy more plate appearances, I know that as a proud papa, that's gonna make you very happy. So that definitely is something that I personally feel like you should be a fan of and you being the family man that you are, you know, embracing your baby boy like that. You should be ecstatic about this. I am somewhat, but I also think it opens up a different type, type of trade market now for some AL teams who maybe have too many of the same type of profile player. And maybe there's some NL teams that want, you know, a, I don't know, third base, first base, left field, corner outfield guy who can hit, you know, close to 25 plus bombs a year, but maybe your roster has too many of those types of guys on it. Steve, have you given any thought to what this might do to the White Sox trade market? I mean, if you expand that pool of potential teams by, you know, seven or eight, 
you know, the number of teams that are realistically trying to compete in the National League, that is certainly going to help the Sox from a trading standpoint. It's going to help them um, in terms of being able to get additional capital back for guys like, you know, potentially a, a Jake Berger, you know, friend of the show, or I hate to say it, maybe your baby boy, if um, the team views him as being someone that has to go in order to get a key piece to drive this team towards winning a potential World Series. I mean, I, I think that it, it does certainly help the White Sox chances in, in making a certain move or two. I wouldn't want to see either of those guys go when you talk about Jake Berger or Gavin Sheets. I think that, you know, if you take into into account what we saw today from uh, what was that uh, Baseball America or, or Keith Law and the White Sox being and, and again, you can put as much stake into these rankings as you want to. I'm sure we're going to discuss that. Oh, we're going to discuss steak a little bit here. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna discuss some of that stuff, but the White Sox not exactly having the best farm system. And you talk about Rick Hahn, who says he wants to create, you know, some sustained success. I keep going back to that word, sustained success. Um, is trading those guys really on his radar right now? I, I'm not sure because even though you do have a little bit of a surplus in that DH type right now that's your only talent that you even really have that's that's fringe enough right now to come up and make any sort of impact on this roster you've seen jake Berger kind of switch it up he was on actually the last show that we did here at socks on tap um but it, it, there's there's nothing else out there you see jake Berger taking reps at second base a day after he was on the show there was an instagram post jake Berger's out there taking reps at second um you know it, it they're trying to fill some holes here. They're trying to be creative with some stuff. Yes, the fan base is going to be loud and vocal when they don't spend the money. But what else do you really have in this in this farm system? The farm system is obviously very thin right now due to graduations and, and guys playing at the major league level. There are, in my opinion, some guys down at the lower levels, uh, specifically at Winston-Salem. Uh, my baby boy, Jose Rodriguez, is someone that um, I will continue to beat the drum for. Uh, so he's down there. Obviously, you've got uh, Colson Montgomery, who they took in the first round uh, back last June. Um, they've got some of, the, some of the young pitchers, you know, Matthew Thompson, Dahlquist, Jared Kelly, guys who certainly struggled their first full seasons of affiliated ball in 2021. There still is some upside with those guys. Norhe Vera, another guy. And then obviously the recently acquired Oscar Colas. So it is obviously a very shallow talent pool at the minor league level right now, but that's again, a function of the fact that this team is at the beginning of their competitive cycle here. And they simply haven't put in the resources uh, from the top of the organization down here to continue to have a minor league system that is continuing to churn out talent um, that obviously as I talk about frequently, the fish stinks from the head. We all know where the root cause of that problem is. This team, you know, wants to go out and they want to spend two and a half million dollars on, you know, Yolbert Sanchez, um, a 24 year old slap hitting utility infielder from Cuba, instead of funneling those resources to 16 year olds from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela to help continue to elevate and turn over this talent pool in the farm system. And that's kind of why they're in the position that they're in right now. Well, you know, I'm just reading the comment that just came in from our guy sale and I'll put that up here on the screen in just a minute, but 
you know, I think overall, Steve, like there's it's it's okay to go spend money on Yolbert Sanchez. I don't think that that's a bad idea. But this organization traditionally has chosen the way of the international market to build itself, I think, a little bit over the draft and over free agent spending. Um, and it's just evident. You, you see the Cuban pipeline that the White Sox have and, and some of the guys that they've made international signings on, and some of those guys have hit. Some of those guys have hit for other teams. See Fernando Tatis. Um, you know, they, they've had an ability and an eye to go out there and find really good ball players. Do they translate to success for the White Sox? Sometimes. But I think what, what we're trying to do as, as the fan is say we want more already developed talent that joins this ball club. If you look at Twitter.com right now, that's where that's where people are, are going after. And we've kind of lost some focus on what's going on in the farm system over the last year, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say that, and I will admittedly say that I am happy to not have to be watching the Winston-Salem Dash or watching Birmingham Barons games that are being shot from a blimp 50,000 feet above Regents Field in Birmingham, Alabama, um, or the Charlotte Knights. You know, those two years where we were really focusing more on that team than watching the product at 35th and Shields, it was admittedly very painful. So I'm glad to not really have to do that at this point, but like you talked about with Rick Hahn constantly saying about wanting to have long-term sustained success, the way that you're going to go about doing that is having a continuous pipeline full of talent that you can replenish when guys like Dallas Keuchel are going to leave after this year, when you could potentially lose Lucas G. Lito after next season because you're not going to give him $200 million that he wants. So you have to have guys ready in the pipeline ready to go. And organizationally, they haven't done a strong enough job of continuing that pipeline of talent throughout the minor league level here to add those reinforcements. Well, and is it, is it Steve in your opinion here? Cause I've got mine. Is this a byproduct of not drafting? Well, is it not developing the drafted talent? Well enough. Is it that they're just a mess all around? What has caused that problem? You know, that some of this is, just because they were very front loaded when they, they performed this rebuild. And that's, I think, worked to our benefit. We've had a lot of guys who are big names pan out. I mean, we can argue if they've panned out or not, and we will. Um, but overall, you know, you talk about Yoan Moncada, Eloy Jimenez, Michael Kopak, even down to Reynaldo Lopez. These guys have come up and contributed at the major league level, which is what you want, but there was never a second wave, so to speak. And that's really the key differentiator between them and teams like the Dodgers. The Dodgers have had, for going on a decade now, a second wave, a third wave, and a fourth wave of guys so that when they let Corey Seager walk to go to the Texas Rangers for $350 million, they've got Gavin Lux ready to just plug in at second base and shift Trey Turner over to shortstop. So they've got somebody to fill that hole right away. Um, they let Yasmani Grandal leave because they know they've got Will Smith waiting in the wings there to take over the catcher position. They let Jock Peterson go because they know they've got a plethora of outfield talent that they can go and plug into all these various spots. That's the thing that this organization hasn't done well. And I attribute it just to a faulty overall strategy. I've talked about this in a number of occasions. Jerry Reisorf is just morally opposed in most instances to giving 16 million or excuse me, giving 16 year olds from Latin America, seven figure signing bonuses. Now he did that 
um, 10 days ago with Eric Hernandez, a 16-year-old out of the Dominican Republic. And there was a lot of jokes on Twitter.com about the fact that he looked like he was about 12 years old and like he just got his braces off. But the fact of the matter is those are the types of guys that blossom into your blue chip prospects and your guys that potentially could be making $25, $30 million a year. You sign those guys at that level, at that age, and then you develop them through your system and you have a continuous pipeline. And you have to have a number of those guys. You can't just have one. The Dodgers, the the Rays. I mean, the Rays were on Wander Franco when he was 14 years old. The Sox aren't doing that enough. That's, I think, the core of this problem. And then on the international drafting side of it, or, or, or excuse me, at the amateur drafting side of it, they haven't really shown a willingness, aside from Colson Montgomery here this past June, of taking high school positional talent. It's largely been first-round picks that are collegiate pitchers, that are juniors. You look at Garrett Crochet. There was a lot of discussion about it, with that pick in the – 2020 draft, were they going to use it on Garrett Crochet or were they going to use it on Ed Howard, the local kid out of Mount Carmel? That was kind of the, the big discussion point there. I always say, you know, when you're in that spot, I always want the high school up the middle player. So if it was me, I would have gone Ed Howard over Garrett Crochet. I'll, I've said it then and I'll say it now. I'll stay on that. But this organization just has not shown a willingness to do that. Colson Montgomery is a little bit on the older side of it. He was already 19 at the time he was drafted. So maybe that's why they were willing to do it, but they have to just get to a point where they shift their focus and start investing more into some of these younger raw talents and then needing to develop them. Well, and let's kind of segue that into, you know, talent development. The White Sox just announced their coaching staff today. Your guy Nikki Stakes is on that development staff. Let's let's hear what you have to say on Nikki Dalmonico back with the Chicago White Sox organization. Yeah, Stakes cooking cooking back on the grill here on uh, within the Sox organization. I know when it's that, not at thirty fifth and Shields. It's not at, it's not at thirty fifth and Shields. You know, I mean the the grill the grill's getting warmed up down in Winston Salem, North Carolina, but that's okay. And I know uh, I saw some people were hashtag mad online about this because of the fact that Delmonico, you know, for his career had a 224, 312, 384 slash line. People were like, oh my God, yeah, this is the guy you want teaching your young players down down at Winston-Salem how to hit. I mentioned this in the in the article that I uh, put out following the, the news release here. The Houston Astros had two hitting coaches during the 2021 season. The Astros led Major League Baseball in runs scored during 2021. Their two hitting coaches one being former White Sox utility legend Alex Cintron, who had a very similar career slash line to Nicky Delmonico at 275, 313, 384, and Troy Snitker, the son of Braves manager Brian Snitker. Troy Snitker never played above Class A ball. Yet this guy was one of the hitting coaches in charge of the best offense in the sport. So you're telling me that it's okay for him to do it, but we're going to lose our minds over Nikki Delmonico working with guys down in Class A Winston-Salem. A couple, a couple of people were in my in my Twitter mentions. Our buddy uh, Jordan Miller brought up an interesting point. Your daddy, Tony LaRusso, the owner of a lifetime 199 career batting average, Hall of Fame baseball person. 
with 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 those credentials and that pedigree, should he be in the Hall of Fame for his coaching and managerial expertise? I don't know, Steve. You bring up a good question, and this is something that I thought about. Uh, you know, not even just in this situation, but you know, even back to managers' careers, and you go back through some of these guys who've had very successful, very very successful managerial careers, and yeah, they could have been outspoken players on the field during their tenure. Look at Ozzie Gein. And then you go over to another guy. You just wrote an article about Steve, Robin Ventura, who's a hell of a ball player. Was he a great manager? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But judging somebody's on-the-field baseball abilities doesn't actually equate to managerial or coaching success. It's a lot more based on personality and teaching tendencies that some people have and some people don't or have taken the time to develop in my opinion, that makes a better coach. And who knows? Maybe Nicky Delmonico is very well respected amongst the organization. Seems like he is. He's had enough tenures here with the White Sox to kind of say that there's at least a cultural fit. Is that good or bad? We can debate that till we're blue in the face. But I, I don't see why people lose their minds over this. I talked about this in, in the piece today. From my perspective, I think there's really two important aspects for someone to be an effective coach. You have to understand process. So you have to be able to understand, particularly from the hitting standpoint, how pitchers are trying to approach you. You have to obviously understand some aspects of mechanics to it and being able to convey that message to different types of hitters. Because this is one thing that Hawk would talk about frequently is, you know, you've got your power hitters and then you've got your more line drive gap to gap type hitters. And you can't utilize a one size fits all approach for those different types of hitters. So being able to understand process for those types of hitters is important. But the communication aspect of it is is the second key piece. Is Nicky Delmonico going to be an effective communicator? Is he going to be able to effectively articulate a message to these players in a way that allows them to process the information and implement changes where they are needed to or continue doing things that are leading them to be successful. We don't know the answer to that right now. We don't know how Delmonico is going to take and process information and then relay that onto the players. He might not be good at it at all. We Again, we don't know. But the assumption that because he had a 224 batting average in his major league career, meaning that he's not going to be successful in this role, is complete bullshit, if we're being honest. Well, Steve, I mean, let's let's just cut right through all of it. People are mad because Nicky Delmonico didn't pan out and stole at-bats from people who should have probably been taking them at the time, and that's why people are mad. It has nothing to do with Nicky Delmonico's coaching ability because none of us have anything to evaluate Nicky Delmonico's coaching ability on. I also think people are hashtag mad online because they need to be hashtag mad online. Yeah, that's that's probably true. That's that's probably true. Hashtag right? confirmed. But I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. Who else? Who else are you hiring for that job? This is such a non-story that honestly, when I saw people trying to make their wives-ass jokes about it um, underneath, you know, Scott Merkin's you know tweet of, of announcing it, I'm literally thinking to myself, this is where we're at right now. Can we just be happy for the guy? I, I mean, this is so inconsequential really i, I just think I, we I should just, be happy for nicky delmonico yeah yeah i mean good good for him the guy you know doesn't have to get a real job like the rest of us he gets to be in baseball and 
here's the other thing too. Was he a good major league player? No. But at the end of the day, if you are a bad major league player, if you are the worst player in the major leagues, if you are the if you rank number 750 out of every guy in the major leagues, you are still better than 99.99999 keep adding nines percent of people that have ever played this game. There is no shame in that. And again, just because you don't have the physical tools and the physical ability to translate what you know you need to do, that doesn't mean that you can't teach it. Well said, Steve. Well said. Moving on out of Nikki Delmonico Stake Town for just a minute, because I think Nick, if I if you told me that Nikki Delmonico was going to get five minutes of airtime on Socks on Tap, um, you know, about two months ago, I'd probably be like, we're we're way going back into the past. But I want to talk about the future. And I want to talk about something that keeps making its its way around White Sox Twitter, Steve. And this is something that I love because it's it's just perpetual. And we've seen it with with numerous players. We've seen it with Yasmani Grandal, and we've seen it with this guy, Yoan Moncada. Is Yoan Moncada good? Is Yoan Moncada a bust? You wrote a lot of words about Yoan Moncada and how to feel about Yoan Moncada just a few months ago. I've got about a thousand words typed up that has not been released yet about people debating Yoan Moncada and some of the backstory to it. I want to talk about it because maybe it'll change my mind on some of the things before this gets released, or maybe it'll just make me double down on my opinion even further. But just two days ago, I believe it was, we saw the same debate start to circle online. And if you peruse White Sox Twitter or probably any White Sox Facebook group, Yon Moncada might be the most polarizing White Sox player. And I'll I'll start to preface this with a little bit of, of just my thoughts on it. Yon Moncada also had the most hype around him than any other White Sox player I may have seen in my lifetime coming up out of the system. Now, you have been around on this earth a little bit longer than I have, Steve, and you've had the pleasure whoa, of probably whoa, whoa, being whoa, 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 tuned in. Whoa. Oh, come on. You know it's true. You know it's true. Easy, Anthony. Come on. You man. you may have been more tuned in to the White Sox when the likes of Gordon Beckham came up and followed some of the minor league stuff. I was, I was a little younger, and I wasn't as in-depth with some of this. You were around for some of the other guys probably in the late 90s. I don't know what it was like back then because I watched the Major League team and I didn't get too involved with all of the extra stuff. But nonetheless, Yoan Moncada had to have been the most hyped prospect I've ever seen the White Sox have. And not even just the White Sox, nationally. Yoan Moncada was a thing before Yoan Moncada ever appeared in a uniform at 35th and Shields. That's a lot of expectation to place on a single human. That's a lot of expectation to place on a single human in a large market with a team that plays second fiddle to the nationally broadcasted all the time team on the North side, the Chicago Cubs. It's a lot on a guy who's coming in to solve the problem of a failed rebuild and then put the pressure and onus on him to lead the next rebuild. Because if we're if we're gonna look back at this, Yoan Moncada was acquired in one of the biggest deals in franchise history. There was a lot of pressure on Yoan Moncada from the start, and there will be a lot of pressure on Yoan Moncada until the last time he wears a White Sox uniform amongst this fan base 
what are we at right now in judging Johan Moncada? Is he a good ball player? Is he a bad ball player? We've seen the debate. Is Mark Burley a Hall of Famer? Is Paul Canerco a Hall of Famer? Where does Johan Moncada wind up when he hangs him up? Will he be a Hall of Famer? Will he be a Hall of Good Guy? Or will he be just another guy that was better than 99.9999999999 other people because he made it to the major leagues? I'll leave you the floor. So this is obviously a very loaded and very complex and very polarizing question. You, you preface this, I think, in the right way. There are certainly a number of variables that have to be taken into account here. The fact that Yoan Mankata was acquired for a player that was on a Hall of Fame track record in Chris Sale. You are correct in saying that he was the guy that was the centerpiece of the rebuild process. He was the first one to make his appearance at 35th and Shields. I remember being there for that first at bat that he had against Kenta Maeda in July of 2017. I remember the standing ovation that he got and then the 10 pitch walk and, and the place, you know, went ballistic over, over a walk. So there's obviously expectation levels that Mankata has that other players that followed him didn't. With all of that being said, Mankata has been a good player. He has been an above average player. Now, on an individual level, you can say that you expect more from him. And I think that's fair to say. You know, I definitely know that I would like to see more consistency out of him. I would like to see more power out of him because we know that the raw tools are there. He put all of those tools together in 2019. And if you go back and if you look at the numbers and if you actually remember watching what you saw from him that year, that was a top 10 player in the sport in 2019. We haven't seen that the last two years. 2021, he was a good player, but he wasn't a top 10 player in the sport. Okay. If he gets back to that level that he was in 2019, I think a lot of this discussion will dissipate and we won't have to continue seeing um, a certain individual on Twitter.com who I happen to engage in some friendly discourse with, um, constantly talking about him being a bust. <clears throat> Ken. Um, but uh, that's ultimately what it, what it comes down to. He's been good, but has he been good enough for what he was billed to be and what his skill set could allow him to be? I think it's fair to say that no, he hasn't. One of the other things that I, I believe is interesting is, and I actually put this, this tweet out um, in response to some things that uh, our boy Kenneth was, was talking about the other day. If you actually compare Mankata's first five seasons with those of Adrian Beltre, who is one of the five best third basemen to ever live, I, I feel supremely confident in saying that when you look at the entire package. From an offensive perspective, the numbers are very similar. So can a guy, even after being in the league for five years, take things to a new level, improve his skill set, and do things that he wasn't doing in the early stages of his career. Absolutely. It's obviously now incumbent upon Mankata to execute upon that and to start to show that player that he can be the guy that he was in 2019. Because again, that guy, nobody was complaining about 2019, Yohan Mankata. That guy, you know, was dropping 20 I'm sure I can bombs. find somebody on Twitter that was complaining about 2019, Mankata. That feels like a challenge. 
I I will I will leave that challenge to you. But you look at that that overall line. He had a slugging percentage that started with a five that year. Okay, that's the only year in his career that he's had a slugging percentage above four twelve. I personally I need to see more slug from him. The plate discipline and the plate approach that he brings is something that is obviously very important. I've often been critical of him in saying that I think that he is too passive in a lot of instances. I don't think he does enough in terms of trying to do damage, impacting the baseball when he gets himself into hitters counts, which he does with pretty good regularity. So that's really the one thing that I want to see more out of him than we've seen in pretty much all the seasons outside of 2019. So you bring up you bring up a few words that I think are buzzwords that really get people mad online, right? Like there's some there's some words that you said that will trigger some individuals, and one of them is is passive. I don't think people in the Moncada fan club like when Yohan Moncada is called passive. They can they can dislike it, and that's and that's fine. Again, I will come out and say that his plate approach and his ability to work counts is something that this lineup desperately needs because outside of him and outside of Yasmani Grandal, another guy who draws the ire of this fan fan base pretty regularly, they're really the two guys that are able to work counts. Is it the plate approach that people tend to lean on and say that Moncada is passive for? Because I've got a different reason why I feel that Moncada is passive in certain circumstances, and it has nothing to do with plate approach. I've always just looked at it solely from that plate approach standpoint. I think there there is just a large segment of this fan base that listens to and, and still believes what their coach, what their literally coach told them when they were 10 years old, that you're just supposed to go out there and swing and, and, not be selective up there at the plate. You're supposed to just see the ball and hit the ball. But I mean, that's that's dumbing the game down a little bit, Steve. But I, I think some of the the ire he, he that he can draw are from the from the eyes and the and the voices and the and the tweets from fans stems largely around a lackadaisical look. And this is eye test. I'm going back to eye test, and we can. Yeah, I'm just going to drop so much from this one, but. From the eye test, if you look at Yohan Moncada, there's two different versions of Yohan Moncada. There's the version of Yohan Moncada where you see him trying really, really hard, um, normally around games where the Sox are having a lot of success or in close, tight ball games. And then there's a different, lax, more lackadaisical version of Yohan Moncada where he might come up lame and there's a, a whole TV commercial break to, for you know the trainer to come out and look at Yohan Moncada, and then he's fine, and then he's back in the game, and we do the same thing over and over again. It's oh Yohan Moncada, here it is again. Yohan Moncada's soft. Yohan Moncada's weak. Yohan Moncada this. Yohan Moncada that. And he stays in the game, and he'll score a run, and everybody you know the the other the other voices come out. And it's Yohan Moncada's tough. And then we find out that he's on the IL for 10 days, and then he's weak again. It's the same thing over and over, Steve. And I just – it's the same voices who are always going to cheer for Moncada and the same voices who are always going to doubt him, Ken. Um, but I just want to get to the bottom of why. And I think when I when I just look back at this, the only thing that I can reasonably conclude – is that Yohan Moncada was billed as such a special prospect, as someone who was going to be the it guy, right? Like, he's in 
music videos. He's dancing all the time. He has tremendous, great looks that everybody wants to be around him. He's got this charisma. He's got superstardom written all over him. But at the end of the day, he's not Mike Trout. He's not Shohei Otani. He's not the the star of the White Sox. In fact, if if you were to ask people nationally who the faces of the White Sox are, it's Jose Abreu, it's Tim Anderson, it's probably Lucas Giolito from a national marketing standpoint. But this guy was hyped up more than any of those guys before he got here. And I just wonder, Steve, I just wonder that if he played to more of that flashy superstardom and lived up to the bill there, if some of the on-the-field stuff would be glanced over more, if he was that aggressive guy, if he was out swinging at every first pitch and then going on the microphone after the game and talking the way that Tim Anderson does, I wonder if some of it would be glanced over more. I don't think that you're wrong in in that aspect, Anthony. Um, for you know, for whatever the reason, and I've I've struggled to kind of identify this. And look, human psychology is something that we will never really understand, and it obviously is frustrating. I do know what you're talking about from the aspect of there are that times where he does look disinterested out there. Um, and it is frustrating. He he definitely has those moments, particularly when he is slumping, when he's going through those stretches where he's striking out in a thirty percent clip over a ten game span or over a ten game span, and it just doesn't look good. And sometimes then he's bringing that baggage with him out there defensively to third base and making careless errors. And if we didn't see those kinds of things from him on on a semi regular basis, there, do I think that? the voices on twitter.com and you know some of the other social media platforms would be as loud uh calling him out no i i don't think that they would so again maybe maybe this is the year that that all changes i mean it could very well happen i talked about adrian beltre you go back and you, and you look at an, another guy too that was a number one overall pick in the draft byron buxton who just signed a hundred million dollar extension with the hated minnesota twins um you know, who, if I recall correctly, they were picked to win the division last year. How'd that work out for them? Has not anybody well. has anybody done a wellness check on our buddy Ted? Any, not anybody? well. No, did no, not work no, out well. No, not, not, not great, Bob? No? Okay. Um, but he was a guy that, again, consensus number one prospect, top pick in the draft, for five years, couldn't stay on the field. And when he was on the field, was pretty bad for large portions of it. And then all of a sudden it clicked. Now, he still can't stay on the field consistently. The next time he plays 100 games will be the first time. But when he's on the field, he's dynamic and he's electric. So with guys that have this, the natural skill and ability that a Yohan Moncada possesses, that light switch can flip, and it can flip like that. I think from our perspective here, if it flips here in 2022, that's going to make the White Sox that much more dangerous. And it could push him towards being – that face of the franchise. Although I really am a firm believer that you talk about Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson really being the faces of this franchise. I personally, and I'm, I'm putting this out there right now. I think that when 2022 is all said and done, there's going to be one guy that is going to be looked at nationally as the face of the franchise here. And one guy that is looked at and talked about in the upper echelon of players across the sport 
And that is none other than Luis I think you're correct. I think you absolutely are. And, and you know what? I would say that in, in certain circumstances, if you see Eloy Jimenez go on an absolute tear and hit a bunch of home runs, you'll see him get some of that national attention too, Steve. I think both of those guys have the ability to do it, more so Eloy with the bat than uh, than your, your boy Luis. But uh, from an overall talent level, from an overall guy that's got the tools, guy that's got the flashiness, guy that can do it, it's Luis Robert, hands down. And I think that he is actually kind of your key to taking that next step. Yes, you're going to need Johan Moncada to have a season like 2019. You're going to need Lucas Giolito in ace form. But you're also going to need a first full healthy season out of that man, Luis Robert, in center field. That's going to be such a key for this White Sox team should we play baseball in 2022. Uh, because I don't think he's making national headlines in the current state of baseball. But I think you're right. I, I honestly do. I think you are absolutely correct. And that young man has a world ahead of him when it comes to how much talent he has and how much potential he has. It, it could get really dangerous, I'm, I'm especially for p- patrons of, of guaranteed rate field that have seats in the outfield. It can get dangerous. I'm, I'm going to put this out there right now. If Luis Robert plays 140 games this year, he's going to be a top three MVP vote getter. I'm putting it out there right now. Can we get that in writing? You, you'll get it in writing. Yes. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure because I want something to reference just in case. Now, again, I mean, I'm obviously providing the caveat, and like we talked about, he's another guy that has not been able to play 100 games at really any level outside of uh, 2019. So he's a guy that he has to be able to stay on the field, but when he's on the field, he is so dynamic, and he is so electrifying on both sides of the baseball that he has the ability to be able to carry this team for various stretches and again, do it both with the bat and with his glove. And that is something that makes him so unique. It can really make him the face of this organization here going forward. Steve, I like where your head's at. I think that uh, only time will tell what we end up getting out of Luis Robert. I will say this though, going back to the Yohan Moncada stuff, if Luis Robert say he kind of fizzles out, doesn't, exactly live up to what you're saying is going to happen perennial MVP candidate, because I think that term, at least to me right now is getting somewhat loosely tossed around. Yes. It does speak volumes to the amount of talent that's on this white Sox roster. However, perennial MVP candidate can be applied to three or four guys currently on the white Sox. One being Jose Abreu, another being Yohan Moncada one being Luis Robert. If all three of those guys were to go off for one single year together, look out. But if Luis Robert doesn't live up to that, I would go on record right here and say, I don't think he draws the ire. I don't think he draws the eyes. And I don't think he draws the same debate that Yohan Moncada does today. You're probably right. And again, a lot of that just is going to stem from the fact that Yohan Moncada was acquired for a guy that was on a Hall of Fame track record, a guy that was must-see 
every time he took the ball at the corner of 35th and Shields or, you know, if he was pitching on the road. I mean, that, that was a guy that anytime he was pitching at home, I was there. You know, it could be a one o'clock game on a, on a Wednesday and I would sneak my ass out of work and I would be there in the K zone. So Makata, unfortunately, is always going to have to carry that with him. And we know he's got the skill set to be able to live up to it. He showed it just a couple of years ago. Again, it's at this point now, how do you get back to that level? What is he doing here over the winter? I know we saw some videos on on Twitter.com here today of him doing workouts and people losing their minds again over it. Um, We've seen this routine for a couple off seasons now here. I want to see the results in the batter's box. Keep giving me quality defense. Go out there. Give me a slugging percentage that starts in the five with your 10% walk rate, and we'll be good to go. So, Yohan Moncada workout videos have become the Avi Garcia best shape of his life entering spring training, um, at least to me, because it proves nothing on the ball field. But, Steve, I think what I'm really trying to drive home here is it's really easy for me to see where where people can get upset with Yohan Moncada's production. I, I, I see where people can get very, very upset, despite knowing how well Yohan Moncada is actually doing and how important he is to this baseball team, even if he doesn't reach the best player in the world status. I think Yohan Moncada was a great pickup. Did it pan out the way it should have in terms of giving up the talent of Chris Sale? I don't know. That storybook is not yet closed. But can you see where people can get upset? I I can. Again, I think it is fair to, on a personal level, have a sense of being unsatisfied with what they've gotten from him, by and large, throughout the course of his tenure with the Sox. I think the problem that comes into play is that people, People just operate on the extremes. We've talked about this. I've written about it. People that are more of the analytical bend will look at the war number. They'll look at the on-base number, and they'll talk, and they'll focus on those things. People, Those people don't want to talk about war anymore, Steve. I'm sorry. They just don't want to talk about war anymore. It's all of the other stats. Right. So, And, and then you got on, on that other side of it, the people that will say, oh, he only hit 14 home runs and only drove in 60 runs. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that RBIs are just a really poor measure of evaluating performance. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. In the year of our Lord 2022, it's just not. It's just not a good measure. Okay, there are so many other variables outside of a player's control that go into that. But at the end of the day... Not to get into an RBI discussion here, and we don't even have buzz in the middle of us. But, but you know, at, at, the, at the end of the day, it's fair to want more from Yohan Mankata. And I'm I'm actually, I'm in that camp. Again, I recognize that he's been a good player, but I like so many other people. I want more out of him because if they get more out of this guy, it's going to make the White Sox that much better. And if they get a guy that performs close to what we saw in 2019 with a healthy Aloy Jimenez, with a healthy performing Luis And a still effective Jose Abreu. Yes, money doing that backdrop shit. This thing could win close to 100 games. 
Well, we did see some zips projections come out for the uh, for the AL Central, Steve. Uh, you shared those with me earlier. Um, you're talking about the White Sox winning 100 games. I think that's a great way to close this showdown today. Let's talk a little AL Central projections for a 2022 season that may or may not happen because I don't have anything better to do right now. Uh, let's let's bring that one up. Uh, Steve, you've got those numbers. Yeah, so uh, our friend of the show, Dan Zaborski, over at Fangraphs, who we've, who we've had on the broadcast a couple of different times here, um, he did put out a basic article earlier today on the site kind of talking about his current projections for the AL Central. The White Sox are obviously leading the pack right now with a projected 88-74 and 74 record. Next closest team behind them is the Cleveland Guardians, who, again, the only thing that they are guarding is the longest championship drought in professional sports. And let me tell you, you just fucking hate to really see that, don't you? It's a you real do. shame. It's you a real do. shame. Uh, coming up a full 10 games behind the Sox right there. And then uh, the Motor City Kitties at 76 and 86. So the Sox are obviously the class of this division. I think everybody knows that. Barring something catastrophic happening i don't see how this team isn't going to win the division because they have that much more talent than everybody else i wrote about this a couple weeks ago given everything that this team overcame and everything that they had to deal with from an injury standpoint from the third week of spring training on last year for them to win the division the way that they did i don't know what could possibly happen outside of losing eight you know, a combination of eight. Let's not let's not players. let's not put numbers on it. Don't put. You're gonna just find some wood to knock on. Don't put numbers on it. Barring something catastrophic is is the point of my of my little spiel here, Anthony. I don't know how this team doesn't win the division. So I, I just first take from from me when I look at this is yes, I, I see the same thing you do. And I don't think that there's any reason why the Sox don't walk away with this division next year. However, at the same point in time, I'm just not satisfied because we've seen this rodeo twice now. It's getting old. And I don't want to say that playoff appearances are getting old. I want to say that the finished product and what we're ultimately waiting for, it's, it's still a little bit out of reach. I'm past the point now, Steve, just in my White Sox fandom with this current group of players where I'm really caring about the AL Central. And I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm getting ahead of myself. There's going to be competition in the AL Central. And I think that the Tigers are probably a little bit underestimated on this board here. And I don't think that they're a finished product either. I think they're still going to add once we get out of the lockout. And that's going to change these numbers around just a little bit. But you've got to look at what they've, what they've built up there. They didn't bring A.J. Hinch in to sit there and be a middle of the pack dwelling team for very long you know that the the old man is going to spend some money on that team and get them up towards the top of the division and this is going to be a battle probably i would say in 2023 that's going to look a little bit different than the last two years for the white Sox to kind of walk in and get by on some uh depth call-ups and and guys like uh brian goodwin coming in and saving the day every now and then but I think overall, when I look at this, there's two things that it says to me. One, the White Sox need to go out and figure out a way to be that team that's going to get to the ALCS in 2022. That should be the mark of improvement at the very, very least for this White Sox ball club. It has to be. There is nothing short 
of uh, a, a World Series bid that can be considered a success this year. You've put yourself now where you're coming up at the top of the AL Central in, in a very easy division right now as it stands. Again, not super simple. This is Major League Baseball we're talking about here, and wilder things have happened. But where we sit right now with the last two years, where these projections look, you can see that the White Sox have kind of – they're looking at this and saying, we've, we've got a ticket this year again. However, there's still glaring holes that need to be filled. We talk about improvement, stuff like, oh, my God, if if Luis Robert is a, is an MVP candidate, if you get 2019 version of Yohan Moncada, if Jose Abreu plays as well as he did last year, if you look at uh, the starting rotation that we have right now, those things, you know, if you get another good year out of Lance Lynn, maybe it's slightly, slightly worse than 2021, you get a good year out of Lucas Giolito, do the Sox make that ALCS, Steve, or is there still work to do? Because overall, that's that's my biggest question right now. Is there still work to do, or can you rely on what you have on this roster? If everything works out perfectly, are we going to the ALCS? There's still absolute work to do here. You talk about the Tigers not being a finished product. I don't think the Sox are a finished product either. I think, obviously, we know that they need to address the right field situation because I don't personally feel comfortable going into a season where again the stated objective is to win the world series like it was last year going into that with your baby boy with adam engel and a cast of other guys holding trying to hold down right field i want more certainty at that position so between that and then obviously the second base situation that still needs to be addressed and i personally would still like to see another starting pitcher input in there I wrote about this you know, a couple of months ago and about how Michael Kopech's workload and the way that he is managed is going to be very similar to what we saw with Carlos Rodon during the 2021 season here. So there's going to have to be some volume that is going to need to be picked up somewhere else. So if they could find a way maybe to bring back Carlos Rodon, that would certainly help. And then now, and see, this is where I almost want to talk with Dan over at Fangraphs because – if you're telling me, Steve, that the projections are saying this team's going to walk away with the division without Carlos Rodon of last year, who was a major piece in this rotation, what are these projections saying? Is it major steps forward from Dylan Cease? Is it major steps forward from guys like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez? Because that right field hole is not filled, and that second base hole is not filled in those projections. Yeah, and, and I don't recall the numbers off the top of my head here, but I believe that I believe they had him at 88, 88 wins. Yeah, yeah, it did have him at 88. It was on, on the individual player side of it. I, I don't recall the specific um, projections for guys like Dylan Cease, uh, like Eloy, and Luis Robert, but I do recall that there was upticks in that. You know, obviously – I've seeing, got him right here for you. Okay. Uh, 88 and 74 for the White Sox, 78 and 84 – for the Cleveland Guardians. That's a 10 that's a 10 game lead. That's winning the division handedly and you haven't you haven't added anything. Right. So if you're talking about they go out and let's say they get crazy. Let's say that they get Michael Conforto to play right field. Let's say that they find a way to bring back Carlos Rodon and you're able to work him into a rotation here where you're not reliant then on the likes of Diamond Dallas Keuchel or 
Ronaldo Lopez to try to pick up volume. Now all of a sudden that 88 turns into 92, 93. And if you find a way to go out and get just functional play at the second base position and so that you're not relying every day on the likes of Leary Garcia, um, Romy Gonzalez, or, or the Danny Mendix of the world, now all of a sudden you're talking about, on paper, looking like the best team in the American League. So if you had to choose between the two of them, second base and right field, where are you addressing first? If it's me personally, give me that big donkey dick hitting bombs in right field. Okay. Whether whether that's whether that's Conforto in the free agent market or finding a trade piece, give me bombs. We all know it's been said a couple, two, three times on this on this broadcast. Ball go far, team go far. And that's exactly why I want Gavin Sheets in right field as much as I can get him. 11 home runs, 11 wins, and every game that Gavin Sheets hit a home run, I believe the White Sox won up until that last Gavin Sheets home run in the playoffs. But I just I think you got to give the man a shot. This is just my two cents. I think you give the man a shot in right field to start the season. You try and go out there and make an acquisition at the trade deadline if it's not working. If you've got this team down on paper right now, able to walk away with it, you know, the, I, I know people want, and you, you're gonna you're gonna hate me for saying this. Why spend the money now? Why spend the money now to go bring in a Michael Conforto when you may not have to? When a one you know one year rental might be just all you need to get yourself over that hump, and then maybe it's time to move Gavin Sheets. Maybe it's time to move Jake Berger to get yourself over that hump and improve that position. But why not while you've got a guy on league minimum salary who showed up in the playoffs? who showed up on the game that not a lot of other guys showed up in. Give him the chance. Give him the chance to. You've got a defender in Adam Engel to go out there and cover it if the defense just isn't there. You can play to your splits early on in the year. Go get me a fucking second baseman. Let's ride. That's where I'm at right now because you have some cost certainty right there and right field already. You don't have to go break the bank. If you're Rick Hahn, it's an easier conversation to go in there and say, I need a second baseman. Then I've got to add another outfielder to this group. It just makes more sense. And then go spend that money to bring Carlos Rodon back. That's my plan, at least, Steve. My counterpoint to that would be this. We all know how you feel about the defense of a certain number 74 in left field. And he does have a propensity to plant his face into the wall. So when that inevitably happens, now all of a sudden, if you have Conforto in right field, and let's say Eloy has to miss two or three weeks, you've got options available in Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets to then plug those holes and then obviously being able to utilize the DH at the same spot. We've seen teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Braves here in 2021, teams like the Rays, Having quality major league depth, having 26, having 26 functional pieces on your roster is very important, especially in the course of a 162-game season here. So um, if you have those quality pieces in there, then you're not having to rely on guys like Nicky Delmonico in the 2020 season. So that's where I think if you can go out and if you can add the talent, if you can get a guy like Conforto who's going to have – Solid play discipline. He's going to get you on base. And I think what 
give you a 30 home run bat in a corner outfield position playing at the corner of 35th and Shields. I go out and do it. Everyone knows I'm all about spending money from the Reinsdorf Family Trust more so than he is, obviously. So if that's if that's the way that they can go, I think that makes a significant impact for this team. Oh, I'm not going to doubt its its uh, significance, Steve. By any means, I'm just I'm I'm kind of playing devil's advocate to you a little bit here because I think that it's the tougher call for Rick Hahn right now. Uh, we'll do a whole episode on starting pitching because if we start going down that rabbit hole, we'll be here two hours. Um, Steve, you got any final thoughts before we uh, sign off here for the night? It's just nice to get together and talk some baseball here, Anthony. You know, um, it's been it's been a little tough here. Obviously, Chicagoland area has been getting pounded by snow for for the last twenty four hours. It warms my heart to know that we can just get together here virtually, have a nice, warm hearted discussion talk about the boys and um you know just kind of shoot the shit a little bit want to say want to say what up to my boy sal want to throw one up for him uh appreciate him uh joining in the comments as always it's just good to talk some baseball here and hopefully they can get this damn thing ironed out because in six weeks i'm supposed to be out in phoenix at spring training and if i don't get to go out there i'm gonna be really pissed off so figure it out you'll be mad online as oh, they say, I steve will be- you will be Hashtag Matt online. Hashtag confirmed. I love it, Steve. I echo your statements. It's great to talk White Sox baseball with you as always. Be sure you're going and checking out ontapsportsnet.com as our guy Buzz would say for all of your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Be sure you're checking us out on our YouTube page, all of our podcasts for the Sox, Hawks, Bulls, Bears, and that Northside team, the Cubs, all run on the YouTube, Facebook, follow us on Facebook at OnTap Sportsnet, follow us on TikTok at OnTap Sportsnet, and of course on Twitter at SoxOnTap and at OnTap Sportsnet. Steve, always a pleasure. I need another beer. Let's go White Sox. White Sox for life. <laughs>